Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. It feels better when the team that beat you then goes on to move forward. That's all I'll say. Like, it would have sucked if they lost. (laughs) (laughs) Renee, the NBA is back already. It feels like they just left it. We're already media day uh, is happening as we speak. And because media days have started, the number one topic of discussion isn't who can win the finals, but who's going to show up to their team facilities due to uh, New York City's guidelines regarding uh, premises, indoor premises and indoor events that have large amounts of people. Kyrie Irving's decision to uh, not be vaccinated makes his ability to appear at the Nets facility and games complicated. Uh, There's other players who are reported not to be vaccinated, such as Andrew Wiggins, who's been kind of outspoken about it. Um, He recently lost his appeal for a religious exemption. And the Orlando Magic's Jonathan Isaac, similar situation. Uh, Kyle Kuzma recently said that it's a personal decision when asked if he's vaccinated. Bradley Beal uh, made some comments, which would lead one to believe that he's not vaccinated. All of this is to say, how do we think teams are going to handle these situations? Let's start with the big one. Let's start with the Nets and, and Kyrie Irving. Yeah, so I want to start out by saying, like, I feel like it's the easiest thing to do to everybody. Just jump on Kyrie and make him a punching bag because he's the easiest punching bag we have. But that's why in our pre-pro meeting, I asked, I'm like, yo, who are all the other players Mm -hmm. that are not vaccinated? Because we just keep hearing the same name, Kyrie Irving, Kyrie Irving, Andrew Wiggins, whenever he asked for a religious exemption, which the NBA shut that down quick, fast and in a hurry. But... Here's my thing on the the whole thing. As we know, getting a vaccine helps not just you, but helps the people around you. That's we right. understand that. It's just that I don't know what to tell people that don't believe that it's a fact. It's a scientific fact. Whether or not you believe that scientific fact, that, again, that's your decision, but that doesn't change the truth. However, I would like to say that if we have this large amount of players that are vaccinated, I understand. Over 85% of the league. Yeah, over 85% of the league is vaccinated. If we have that large of amount vaccinated, well, yeah, that 15%, it's tough. We wish they were. But Jason, like you said, it's like if 85% of America was vaccinated, then we would be be really happy right now. We'd be really happy. 99% of the WNBA is vaccinated. Like 99% of the WNBA is vaccinated. And we are sitting pretty, but that doesn't mean that people haven't still got covid Devin Booker has COVID right now, you know? Yeah. So, and I'm pretty sure using I, context clues, it sounds like he's vaccinated because he was like, when he announced it streaming, <laughs> that's yeah. which is so funny. <laughs> I love, I love where we are in 2021. Devin Booker announced while he was streaming, playing video games yeah. that he had the vid. And at first I didn't even know what he was talking about. He's like, yeah, I got the vid, had it for like a week, can't smell, can't taste. But other than that, and then yeah. I'm assuming that people in the chat started to talk to him. And he was like, well, you can get COVID when you're vaccinated. Educate yourselves. So he's like, I'm not going to say whether I am or am not, but just educate yourself. So I'm just assuming. So I'm not saying he is, but even if he is, yes, you can still get it. But yeah, you'll be all right looking like him playing video games, even with the symptoms. Yeah, a couple of things. First of all, of course, you can get it still if you're vaccinated. I I uh, recently tested positive for COVID despite being vaccinated. The great thing about it was I had essentially no symptoms except I was uh, very, very tired. You know, people who use the fact that breakthrough infections are possible as an argument against the vaccine, it's like saying – you know, uh, you can still get in a car crash when you wear your seatbelt. Yeah, of course. It's like, yeah, but you survive the car crash. Like, I mean, which is the entire point. Um, Vis-a-vis Kyrie, I look at it several different ways. One, like, they're, 85% is a huge number. I 
I hopefully there is something that we can learn from the NBA as a country about how they got to that high number. Similarly, hopefully there is something the NBA can learn from the WNBA about how they got to 99%, which is essentially 100%. I think that um, Kyrie should be criticized and I will criticize him. Like, (laughs) you can't do this. Like, I, I get it. Um, I, I don't know that anything will change his mind. Similarly, I don't know whether anything will change uh, Wiggins or Jonathan Isaac's mind. But but it's absolutely fair to criticize them. But I'll say this. Like, you know, I've seen a lot of people be like, oh, it's bullshit that we live in a society where people care what celebrities think and say, what their opinions are. I, I, I Part of me agrees with that, even though that is a reality. People do care. Kids yeah. do care. Like, I wish it wasn't the case, but that's the case. They do care. It's a fact. Above and beyond that, low, we live like in a world in which misinformation about the vaccine, about everything, go blasts out through Facebook, through Instagram, through all these social media channels all the time that many, many people are plugged into, more people than listen to Kyrie Irving, I guarantee you, and we can't do anything about that. I just – as we criticize these players who, again, are a small minority of the NBA population – Yeah. We should recognize that we're in the midst of a misinformation crisis. And I I mean, that's a big point, though. That is a big point. I'm not trying to take the responsibility for being vaccinated off of Kyrie. At the same time, like, there are large and powerful forces at work in our society through which people can easily spread misinformation about uh, the CDC, about Fauci, about the vaccine, about what it does, about microchips, about all these different conspiracy theories. And... We're completely incapable and unwilling to, like, come into conflict with those things or to, like, try and curb those things at all. And I think it's very easy to then pile on to these individuals who, again, should be criticized because it feels like, okay, maybe these are the people who who we can – Get to toe the line. That's what I was going to say. Look, there's that 15% in the NBA led by Kyrie. And I only say led by Kyrie because you're always led by who your superstar is, who's the most visible. It doesn't matter what's going on in that group of whoever 15%. The most famous person in that group is who's the stories are going to be written about, who yeah. is going to be the headliner. So that's a fact. To that point, Hollywood is ran on stars. Sports is ran on the stars. That's just how it works. This is how I feel about it. If Kyrie and the other 15% feel so strongly about not getting a vaccine, by all means, don't do it. And by all means, don't show up. And by all means, take all the the consequences that come with that, whether it's a dock and pay, whether it's whatever. Because here's my thing. You, you can have you can have your own choice. You can make your own decisions. You can have your own privacy. But when I sign my HOA to live in this condo or when you sign yeah. a contract to play in the NBA you have to abide by the rules of the organization, of the condo, of whatever company that you're involved in, the same way that New York and the same way that San Francisco can say, hey, if you want to live here and work here, you have to be vaccinated to do it. Those are the rules. So that's one thing. If you don't like the rules, then, you know, to that point, you have to make a decision on your own. So if you're going to be slated to make $33 million this year like Kyrie Irving is, well, are you comfortable with making $16 million then mm. to not play in your home games, which is half of your home games will be like 41 games plus the games that you would play in San Diego and play against the New York Nets. If Kyrie is okay with that, then we got to be okay with that. You know, like that's, that's all the way I feel about it. Like if Kyrie and them are like, again, this is a, this is a problem. This is a health conscious problem. I'm very aware that this is a problem because this is a we thing, not a me thing. But if these players are literally saying, no, I'm not going to do it. And no, I'm not going to work and get my check. Then, well, then they have to like, they're going to remove themselves pretty much. The other thing is, like, the players got to understand, too, as they say that, you know, respect my privacy, this is personal. They understand why people are emotional about this. Over 600,000 people in this country have died. That's surely an undercount, by the way. It's, you know, that's, yeah, we're nearing into three quarters of a million people like that. That's a a huge amount of tragedy. And so people feel very, very strongly about this. That, That includes 
uh, the things that Carl Anthony Towns has gone through with losing his mom, losing yeah. uh, numerous members of his direct family. I want to read. Uh, so uh, SI had an article by Emma Baclieri uh, about uh, how the WNBA achieved their number. Um, and here's a quote from it. The WNBA landed on a layered approach. They would set up a series of panels with researchers and experts, three sessions on Zoom held at different times so that every player would be able to easily access at least one, no matter what time zone they were in. But first they would canvas players, learn which concerns to focus on, talk to the invited experts about what kind of environment they wanted to cultivate, open and participatory with plenty of space for questions, no matter how silly or small they might seem. It seems like this is probably taking place on a team-by-team basis. The the NBA doesn't really have a strong or any kind of vaccine mandate other than they're going to abide by state and and city uh, laws. That said... I don't expect Kyrie Irving to listen to Take Line or listen to anybody on <laughs> Twitter or or read any blog or listen nah, to any podcast. Happening. Jonathan Isaac, same. Kyle Kuzma, same. But maybe they'll listen to Cat. You know, maybe they might listen to him. Not to put more uh, responsibility on his plate. Maybe they'll listen to somebody with with uh, actual experience in this field or experience with the, the effects of COVID nineteen that can speak one to one about why this is important. All of which is to say. There is probably something that the NBA can learn from the WNBA's approach to this that can help close the gap here. I love that. And to that point, I'm going to take that second to shout out the WNBA. Terry Jackson, who leads our WNBPA, which is our Players Association. I will say it wasn't either. Everybody had questions, especially think about the time when the WNBA was trying to get the players on board with the vaccine. This is before it was even released to the public. This is before people saw that it was going to be okay. This was when all the memes was happening on Twitter. Like, what if you grew an extra ear? Like, you know, like there was all kinds (laughs) of stuff happening on social media about what's going to happen when we all take this vaccine because people felt like the vaccine was created quickly and that, you know, people had questions basically. But to that point, the WNBPA went about things in a very systematic way that was dope. It was a come when you feel comfortable. And I think that matters because no one likes to be forced into anything. And especially people that have a lot of money, you're not going to tell people that are rich or people that are used to doing things their way how to do things. I don't care who you are. Like, so it, it was a very come as you are. And then it was educational. It wasn't even a this is what you should do. It was this doctor said this, this doctor said that, and this doctor said this. So take from it what you want and come back next week. We might have some more information for you. And I mean, I sat in on some of those meetings and I was very comfortable with what I heard. You know, like I didn't have to make a decision overnight. Now I think that it's getting difficult too, because media days here and it's like, everything has to happen quick. But to that point, I would just like to say a lot of the sports league could take from what the WNBA does in all aspects, because even last year before the wobble season, the WNBA had already put together a group that would lead the social justice movement. You know, our season was dedicated to social justice and everybody was like, wow, the WNBA is moving so solidified. Everything's on point. The shirts, the messaging, everything. And it was like, yeah, we came into the bubble ready and then we saw the NBA created their group that was going to run things as far as social justice and making sure things happen so I would just like to say follow women follow the women's lead because it's not these are educated I always like to say WNBA players have went to school for four years most of them graduated degrees this is an educated league the WNBA and the people around it are educated but to that point I'll just say When it comes to all the things going on with the NBA players, we're talking about 15%. And I agree with you. You know, I played in Minnesota Wildcat and then we're there. So to me, that would be enough. Knowing that I have, we call it a, you know, knowing that I have a brother in the brotherhood and we call it a sisterhood, the 144, knowing that I've seen it defect somebody firsthand and seen what it can do to somebody Yeah, I would think that that would be enough. But Kyrie said, look, I don't want to create any more drama. That's not what I'm here for. I'm going to continue to inspire and lead in the right way. Don't say I never did anything for y'all. I hope y'all enjoyed that. So he's kind of, I know Kyrie's probably getting frustrated because he probably feels like he's always attacked. And again, whether it's deserved or not, (laughs) you know, that's that's what it is. Yeah, it is what it is. But I do understand that, like, I would just say control your controllers. That's what we say in sports. Like, you know, Kevin Durant was like, I don't I don't expect it to be an issue. Harden was like, obviously, Kyrie is a big part of what we're trying to do. But 
You just have to control your controllables in sports. And this 15% that doesn't want to get a vaccine, to me, it's like, all right, next. Like, I don't know. Like, that's just how I am. It's like, we can't control it. Well, first of all, to the point of like outreach, I would hope that, you know, LaMarcus Aldridge, who's on the Nets and will return with the Nets, who's uh, recently was quoted as saying like he feels like he has something to prove. Uh, he had open heart surgery you know, in, in 10 years ago. Like th- that is a comorbidity. I would hope that there is some kind of outreach that's like, here's how this could affect LaMarcus if he gets it. Even if having the vaccine and having a yep. weaker version of the disease, here's what could possibly happen. I hope conversations like that are happening. But to, to your point about like the checks, I think at, at a certain point, this is this plays into the kind of player empowerment conversations. I think it'll be interesting to see what decisions are made. And at the end of the day, my suspicion is if Jonathan Isaacs, Wiggins, Kyrie, if they end up getting the vaccine and, and, and coming in and playing all the games, that will be because they couldn't miss the check. Like at a certain level, if you can afford to miss the game check, decisions are going to be made that are very, very different than what the team expected. So that will play a huge role. Even last year, think about a James Harden, Jason, where no one could figure out why would he not take that Houston deal? All of that money on the table and all of this. And I know that there was some more things involved in the James Harden situation, but the point I'm trying to make is James Harden wasn't worried nothing about that money they were offering. And that money did not move James Harden in no type of way to stay in Houston. As we see now, he, you know, James Harden is in the, in the Brooklyn with the Nets. So I think a lot of people have a a hard problem with that. But when you have financial freedom is what they talk about. The freedom part is the freedom to make any decision. It could be a good decision, bad decision, whatever decision, but it's your decision. And so I think we're starting to see that now with players. They have financial freedom, meaning 16 million. I know for me and like, I'm not going to speak for you, Jason, but when I hear 16 million, I'm getting the shot. I don't care. I don't care what's going on. I'm getting the shot. Stop playing like I'm getting it. But for Kyrie and them, you know, they're talking to the league and they're trying to figure things out. They may have to lose 16, 17 million and they may be fine with that because Kyrie might be able to just release four new pairs of shoes. He has a way to still make money. That money isn't controlling them, basically. So, yeah, the decisions are going to look different than our logic because they, they have a different logic. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. In 2017, the city of St. Louis filed a lawsuit against Rams owner Stan Kroenke in the NFL, arguing they broke league rules and misled the public when the teams relocated to Los Angeles, negotiating in bad faith, cost the city millions of dollars. Now, this isn't a first. Cities have sued professional teams in the past, but uh, with not a lot to show for it. However, we recently learned that the Missouri Supreme Court has upheld a ruling that Kroenke and several other owners must turn over financial records by September 28th. Uh, which is the day this podcast comes out, or be fined. The trial is set for January and could have, obviously, huge repercussions for any pro league that is thinking of relocating some of their teams to talk about this and more. We're joined by senior writer for Front Office Sports, AJ Prez. AJ, welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, So in the most basic terms, what does this mean for uh, the case? What does this mean for the city of St. Louis? And what does this mean for uh, Rams owner Stan Kroenke of uh, Kroenke Sports and Entertainment and the NFL? Yeah, that was big. That was that ruling. And then there was another ruling around the same time about the the NFL look for summary judgment, which would have basically dismissed the case. 
Um, once that didn't happen and what you mentioned about turning over financial documentation and then other documentation that are held by the NFL and other owners, you know, that it looks, it became more real. I mean, it, they, this case hasn't gotten a bunch of national attention because most of the time, like you said, these cases get dismissed or there's a settlement and this doesn't get that far. This lawsuit's four plus years old and we're, you know, we're a few months away from the trial, a trial that could go into the, if it starts on time and the jury selection goes, it could last, you know, past the Super Bowl even. So I don't think when it was filed, any legal expert or maybe probably the NFL even would thought it would get this far. Stan has to settle, right? If there's even a 1% chance of this going the other way on him, he's got to settle, right? He's going to settle and he's a, he's a very rich man. And he's actually, uh, there was a lot of this battle has been over documents and what can be uh, viewed by the public. And there was a kind of a, an error in the clerk's office where, you know, they didn't redact part of a previous filing. And, and Stan Kroenke actually promised to uh, cover all these expenses, identify the NFL and the other owners. And uh, so it's, it's all on him. And, you know, although he's a very rich man, you know, they, I had a story last week where, you know, this a settlement could start at 500 million to a billion dollars at this point, because it looks so, because it looks so likely that it's going to go in. And, and you're not talking a federal court case, whereas you're pulling from an entire region for a district court. This is a, this is a local St. Louis court. This is home cooking. They're going to, it's going right. to be this, this judge's rulings, uh, and the jury pool, you know, have, you know, have, I would say, I wouldn't say they're, you know, a vested interest at all, but they're, you know, this is a team that left their town. So, I mean, you said it though, cause we've seen the lawsuits come up after other teams move famously Seattle when the Sonics moved, yeah. um, to Oklahoma. And then we saw Oakland when the Raiders left for Vegas, but you know, success, we haven't really seen much of that. And this one looks a little interesting because like you talked about, he might have to actually settle and that 500 million mark. Do you find like that's blowing my mind, but do you find this case possibly having one of those different outcomes? Like then, cause we've seen this before. This isn't new. Yeah. It is normally it's like the, it's basically they, they, they found a judge that um, is going along with what the plaintiffs and the, and, and the plaintiffs are the convention bureau there in St. Louis, the city of St. Louis. Um, and I think the county, those are the three plaintiffs. And this judge has been very friendly um, and reading the law as they should and as they interpreted the law. And I think this judge has gone along with the plaintiffs. Also, it's they filed this lawsuit, not to get too in the weeds, but they filed, they filed it in 2017. In 2020, they changed the law for punitive damages, punitive damages being you, serious wrong. You got a lot of money. We got to we got to make sure this doesn't happen again in, in any other way. If you do the math, it could be a ten billion to fifteen billion dollar jury Oof. verdict. If right. those usually struck down on appeal, um, and even if the city wins that money, this is going to be appealed by the by the NFL. It's not going to be over in January, February, whenever the verdict comes in. And this is going to be going on for a while. That's why I think the settlement talks, if they're not already ongoing, and there's this is all behind. There's no one's commenting at this point uh, that they after a verdict, especially one in favor of the city, would be. Uh, you know, I think we're. We're, we're going to talk, you know, a decent size settlement there. Wow. Um, every team that switches markets uh, goes about it kind of differently. But I think the kind of unifying theme is always some kind of version of the argument. We're not getting enough support here. Uh, the stadium is not adequate to economically support the team, yada, yada, yada. Can you talk about what what are the specific um, – claims that the city of St. Louis is are, are taking issue with in terms of Crunky's uh, position on the Rams moving? Um, well, first of it's like all the plaintiffs want to prove that when Crunky bought the team, he from the time he was approved as owner, he wanted to move. That's one part of it. The, the other part of it is that Crunky that and, I, and I, I can, it may go back to, to prior ownership. They had a stipulation in their contract for the uh, stadium there, the Dome Stadium there in St. Louis, where it had to be in the top 25%, uh, basically, uh, of all NFL stadiums when it comes to, you know, parking, amenities, and everything else. And uh, the uh, Kroenke argued that it, it, even though they made upgrades, about $17 million worth, I think, um, it was still not in the top 25%. So that, that long-term lease became year to year at that point. He, he basically won that part of it, I guess, if you could say win. Um, and, and so that's way they went year to year. And as we've seen from other teams, anytime you go to year to year, that's not a good sign. We saw that when 
in Oakland. We've seen that with the Arizona Coyotes as well. So it's the, the, the writing was on the wall. But I think the city wants to prove that this was all staged, that even Goodell knew that when he bought the team that the, and, that, and there's no indication that that's the case yet. I don't, there's been quotes from Jeff Fisher saying, yeah, when I became head coach, there was an understanding that, you know, the team was going to move to LA, but that is kind of a little hurdle for them to get over next. So it's interesting. You mentioned Roger Goodell. We know we're talking about people with a lot of money. We're talking the NFL. We're talking all these different Things that are all the makings to make a great story, you know. So why isn't this story getting more national attention? Part of it was, I think it just, we didn't think it would get this far. And the other part of it is you lose your team and it's, it feels bad. I was actually a Rams fan when, when they, when they left LA. Oh, wow. um, and, and I was in the Bay Area when, you know, when I was a kid, when the Raiders left, I was really young. Uh, when the Raiders left Oakland for LA, when franchise moved, you know, it doesn't feel good. And so I think there's, I think there's a little bit of like, they want to have Stan Kroenke admit that he was wrong or just like apologize to the fan base over money. Cause wow. this, this is going to go, this is going to go to the general fund that people probably aren't going to get any money out of this in the city and County there. But I think they just want like an apology. And it's like, we've seen it many times and you know, the NFL hasn't had a really, you know, they went, went a long time without relocation. And now we've had, you know, we've had Vegas, we've had San Diego, we've had St. Louis all in succession. And, and the next up is potentially the bills. Um, so it's kind of like when all those teams moved, when the Rams left and, and the Raiders left, you know, they came up and I guess the Oilers, you know, in Houston moved to Tennessee. The NFL had like basically some guidelines where they're like, this has to happen locally. Government, you know, the fans, everybody else, you have to give them a fair shot to keep them. Mm-hmm. Now, the, the whole part of this case was, oh, there's just guidelines or others like a piece of paper or, or was that a contract? Did Kroenke violate a contract, um, which was these guidelines that Paul Tagliabue set up, you know, 20 something years ago? You mentioned that no one thought the case would get this far. Uh, Additionally, you're talking about a settlement, just the settlement, not the actual uh, damages awarded should this trial go all the way to the end, uh, being in the hundreds of millions of dollars, potentially. Um, If the city of St. Louis were to win, what would the fallout be? And have we actually reached a point with the case going this far that there would be a chilling effect uh, in the way that teams – and owners go about switching markets. Five hundred million is a lot of money. Yeah, yeah, I think there would be, and I think a lot of owners would have to examine the state laws and the federal laws when it comes to these things. And I think another part of it is, you know, I think we've reached to a point over the last two or three decades where the tax base in cities are tired of paying for stadiums. Yeah, I think we're there already. Yeah. I think we've seen the Definitely. pendulum swing back to yeah. where you're a billionaire, you got money, you use it yourself to, to build a stadium. Um, and I know there's always tax breaks and dollar a year leases and stuff that teams get, and they do generate jobs. But I think that we've seen study after study the financial yeah. impact, especially for a football stadium using used. Yeah. I know you can you can use it for concerts, I guess, but it's it's mostly used for football eight nine times a year when you, if you count the preseason and maybe the playoffs. So you know if if you're if you're spending you know some of these places cost two one two three billion dollars to build, you know what is the benefit locally? I know it creates jobs. Uh, construction and into stadium management and game day staff. But is there, you know, it's already a hard sell at this point, especially right. coming out of the pandemic and everything else. You know, what it's it's going to be a harder sell for uh, teams looking to move. Yeah. Uh, Jerry Jones recently said on his radio show appearance on 105.3 is the fan. Uh, the fans' KNC masterpiece, quote, every opportunity was given for the Rams to remain in St. Louis, in my view. <laughs> now, I think Jerry might have a dog in this fight, but what are your thoughts on that? On that? Well, Jerry does. Oh, Jerry's, <laughs> one of the, Jerry's one of the owners where they've uh, subpoenaed information from. Yeah. And uh, so that's, he's like one of the handful of owners that this lawsuit's targeted. Um, just, just for more information on how it all went down. There's been talk with the Bills, I really hope. That's a, that's a rabid fan base. The NFL... Yeah. As, as we see in Green Bay, the NFL can exist in smaller markets. And, um, and because of the TV money, it's so huge. And the TV ratings have been great this season. Where, where other leagues, especially, and oh, I would say more NHL and others, where you have to have fans come into the games. You know, that's a big part of it. But the NFL, you know, they survived. Most teams last year, about half the teams, didn't have any fans at all during the pandemic, during 2020 NFL season. Um, and uh, the, the, the others that did it were drastically cut back and we're still here. I mean, the franchise value still went up. It comes down to, you know, having the fanciest stadium at this point. And it's been Jerry Jones started it kind of again with his stadium there. And 
there in Texas, yes, which is a, it's a, it, it is a it is a beautiful stadium. And then we got SoFi, which kind of went yeah. up them. So oh, yeah. you know, uh, Vegas is also awesome too. So I mean, you got three of the best stadiums there, and uh, they're not pretty much in, on the West Coast now. Um, but it, but that's you know that's that other owners see that, and I'm not saying it's about having the biggest yacht, but it kind of is. Well, he's a senior writer for Front Office Sports, which is one of my faves. Go check out his work or follow him on Twitter at by AJ Perez. And that's B-Y, not B-Y-E. AJ, thank you for joining us on Take Line. (laughs) Thanks for having me on. All right, Jason, so we are one stage closer to the WNBA Finals as we head into the semifinal stage this week. Now, we know we had some good games over the weekend as Chicago Sky. Oh, amazing. Chicago Sky took down the Lynx. The Mercury beat the defending champs, the Seattle Storm, which we'll talk more about because the chance for Sue Bird, who might... And I say might because I'm not going to – you're not hearing it here first, but speculating, <laughs> you might – she might have played her last game. I'm not trying to retire her, but it felt like that was happening. She won't say. She said that she wants to take it year to year, and she's going to take some time to make the best decision that's best for her. But what do we think? How are we feeling? Was this the last game that the legend plays in the WNBA? Well, first of all, let me just say that I am – after that game, I'm happy that the Liberty were eliminated. I'm happy that that happened. I'm glad oh that we God. got. Why, Jason? Why? I'm, glad, I'm happy that we got the Tarazi Super uh, jersey exchange. <laughs> I'm happy. I'm legitimately like, listen, it was a great learning experience for the Liberty. Um, I watched that team. Listen, I'm dumb, but I watched that squad and I'm like, why don't they just run the Sabrina Howard pick and roll like literally every time? Like, uh, it seems like they can't, no one can stop that. So just do it all the time. That said, I'm glad that the better team won. I'm glad that the better team won and got to see Seward against Diana Taurasi, potentially for the last time. And it feels better when the team that beat you then goes on to move <laughs> forward. That's all I'll say. Like, listen, it would have sucked well, if they lost. <laughs> listen, that's... Jason, you just articulated my whole feelings for last season. We lost to the Bucks. I thought we yeah. were on a roll. I really felt like we could have went... To the finals and maybe even won, and people thought that was crazy. But now look, because the Bucks won, and that's the team that beat us. Um, when I say us, I'm talking about the Atlanta Hawks. So the Bucks yeah. beat the Hawks, and then they went on to beat everybody else and won a championship. So yes, I feel more comfortable that mm-hmm. we lost to the champs. And to that point, I think you know I'm glad you, as a New Yorker fan, can realize the moment because. You know, if that was Birdie's last game, to be able yeah. to play against Dinah Taurasi, cool. who we know, anybody, if y'all don't know, first of all, I bleed blue right beside me. Everything is UConn over here. So those are two UConn greats who actually play together. So I just think the story wrote itself. And I'm glad that you were selfless. And, you know, Birdie made, you know, some statements post game. She said, through my career in a lucky way, my position, I, I play it allows for longevity. I never really relied on my physical quickness or my speed or size, obviously, you know, and yeah. she's hilarious. And so, so as long as I continue to add to my game from a mental perspective, I was always going to be able to stay on the floor. Assuming, again, the physical part stayed with me as well. So what she was basically saying, I think, kind of the Tom Brady-esque type of right. point to these these players where their physical attributes are not what makes them the players they are. And yes, Tom Brady still has a strong arm, and we know that. But what makes these players that play into their the later ages than we see athletes play? Because Birdie turns 41 next month, and so we know Tom Brady. He said he wants to go four or five more years what is it that allows these players to have long careers, have that longevity? She kind of hit on it. If you don't rely on your yeah. quickness or your speed, which a lot of athletes do, your athletic ability is based on athletics. Those players that can still be extremely effective, highly successful, not depending on those things. Yeah, you could play for as long as you want, as long as your body upholds to a certain extent. And that's kind of what she got at. So, you know, I if mean, we what, never. What? Yep. I, I was just going to say, whether it's Kareem, Candace, Parker, LeBron, Subert, like it's always, you just got to be a high IQ player. Tom Brady, like that's bottom line. If you are a, if you are a genius at what you do, the physical will, will follow that. 
for sure. And she's yeah. just and that and I'm general. just saying that quote was from her, her 2020 playoff run. But as we know, wow. one year difference doesn't change much of anything. What she's saying is still the same. If you don't rely on quickness, if you don't rely on speed or athleticism per se for your game, then you do have a chance to have a long career in sports if you're that caliber of player. So, yeah, that was big. And, you know, something else that that happened over the the playoffs was the links in the sky played. And it's interesting because there's so many storylines in sports, as we know, you know, Sylvia mm-hmm. Fowles and the links are a dynasty that's trying to figure it out. You know, since Maya Moore left, it's been difficult. They had Maya Moore leave. Um, Lindsay Whalen retired. There's been a lot of movement. Can they get back to that championship form? So they were in the playoffs, but, you know, got knocked out. Chicago Sky is the storyline that I think a lot of people are talking about. Candace Parker coming back to Chicago, almost LeBron-esque in a sense of, yeah. I want to win a championship for my city. And you should see, I, I like something that stood out to me was that Candace Parker has beat me for a championship. So I know that Candace Parker has been to the furthest yeah. you can get, but her excitement right now with winning in single-game eliminations, making it to the semifinals, which... Like I said, we know she's wanted, went to the finals and won. You can see that there's this new energy because she, she it's different. When you go to a different team, it doesn't matter if you've won four championships before. It's different when you go to a new team, your home team, your home city. So I really am enjoying watching Candace Parker and the excitement she has for building the Chicago Sky up to one of those dynasty powerhouse teams. They're a fun team because they're so balanced and they can kill you in different ways. Like they just demolish the links inside on the glass and, and scoring inside. Yeah, and they, it was and, tough. Uh, they are very, very good. They're very good. And Courtney Vandersloot was uh, super fun. Man, I'm still having nightmares about fucking uh, – <laughs> Sophie Cunningham coming off the bench and destroying. Oh the, Lord, the Sophie been cooking, but that's what I'm saying. So another thing we've already talked about it, but we have finally now that we're going to the semifinals, we've reached the the series rounds where it's the best of. It's not single game. So I know that that's, that's right. a lot of fans were upset that a number three team or a number four team, a la Seattle Storm, who's played great all season, can get knocked out in a single game elimination. So the good news is we've moved on now and advanced to the semifinals, which has a series round so that'll be something exciting to look forward to this week predictions any predictions oh predictions i would say i don't see anyone beating connecticut sun so my prediction is that the connecticut sun are on pace to have a championship caliber run so if that like pretty much if this connecticut sun don't win the championship i would be surprised because if you look at it, four players on the Connecticut Sun were on the all-defensive teams. So four <laughs> of the ten players selected on first team and second team all-defense were Connecticut Sun players. The reason I say that is their defense is on point, which in playoff scenarios, that's why people say defense wins championship, offense wins games. That cliche you hear, it really does matter in the playoffs. So the fact that they have four of the ten players on the all-defensive team, that matters. And then they have who will be probably named the most valuable player in the WNBA, John Quell Jones, plays for the Connecticut Sun. Yeah, I just... It's looking like it's Connecticut Sun year, so that would be my predictions. I just don't see anybody being able to, in a series, outplay the Connecticut Sun and how they played. I think they went on like a what like a 14 game winning streak where they were just yeah. absolutely molly whopping every opponent. Listen, the they lost the, the bag. The Commissioner's Cup, well, they the Commissioner's played Seattle. Cup, they, they, they played Seattle in the Commissioner's yeah, Cup. Yeah. They got beat really bad and I think they got mad and they didn't lose a game for like to your point like 14 games. They they like ran off a 14 game win streak. They only lost one game at home all season. So, like I said, it's just I, like if they do get beat, I will be shocked. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Life is a highway. 
and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Renee, the U.S. had a dominating performance this weekend at the Ryder Cup, spanking Europe 19-9, a historic victory. But to get a real understanding of what this performance meant <laughs> in the history of the Ryder Cup, and some Draco Malfoy news, I spoke with my mom on Sunday. Uh, P.S. She accurately predicted the uh, final U.S. score at the morning, yes, of the, Mama the morning of the final round. Here's our conversation about the Ryder Cup. Enjoy. Mom, what are your takeaways what are your takes from the 2021 Ryder Cup hooray the U.S. finally won after 2016 I think that's the last one they won 2016 in Minnesota okay my take like I told you this is uh, the American team a younger team yeah and the U from our old so uh this is a hard uh, a golf course, so the the U.S. has this energy, and um, and they are friends for such a long time, like uh, Sander and Patrick, Dustin and uh, Dustin and Brooke uh, practice golf all the time, and then uh, J- Jordan and Thomas are friends from yeah. uh, from junior golf, you know. So I think. I think that 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 whole atmosphere, okay, is so good, and I think we have to thank Phil Mickelson because when um, they lost big, they were they were actually leading, and they lost. Two thousand fourteen, I think. Yeah, and he said something about the captain and the leadership of the Ryder Cup, okay, that he has to it has to change, and then right. And six months, they form a task force. And uh, and now I think they call it not a task force, Ryder Cup task force. They call it PGA of America uh, Ryder Cup Committee, which is, I think, um, Phil is one of the committee and David Slav and Tiger Wood. And I think used to be Ricky Fowler was there, but I don't know if now. But those are the on the committee. So they made a decision who is going to be the next captain, the co-captain, and who's they going to be the pick. And I think they they talk to each other all the time, okay, and not like before Ryder Cups, okay, that these are all professional, and the captain will tell them, okay, this, and show them pictures. You don't have to tell them what to do. They know what to do. They're professional. Yeah. You know, and I think that's why it didn't work before. Okay, well, European is really the they the Ryder Cup is like they're you know they're enjoying what they're doing, and there's that common uh, that they are friends, even though they're not friends. Okay, so they forget that they they are enemy when they're singly playing. Yeah, and I think the ego of the old Ryder Cup, and you know, like. Could you imagine telling Phil and Tiger, oh, you know, you have to do this and yeah. all this thing? It doesn't work. And I think that's why it does. they're not successful. With this one, it's completely different, okay? And like Steve Sticker was saying, you know, he doesn't tell them what to do. And and I be, believe with the President Cup too, Thomas and everything, they said Tiger doesn't tell them what to do. If they make a mistake, he doesn't say anything. But they can ask them questions, what to do. Yeah. And supposedly Tiger is very good in comparing <laughs> and partnering people. He looks at the whole thing, how this one works, how this one will, is, this one is a good iron, this one is a long iron. He knows how to partner them. I see. That's why they, they see Steve Sticker mentioning it, you know, that even though Tiger is not there, Tiger is on the phone all the time with them. So supposedly that's what I read. He's very meticulous and he knows how, how to partner people. Wow. And, and uh, yeah. even the rival, you know, the, uh, Brooks and DeChambeau, even that rival, they hugged. They hugged yes. after the win. They hu- yeah. 
Yeah, and I think it's mostly media making it uh, too much. But really, I mean, they were changing words and text before. You know what I mean? But I think, uh, I think uh, you know, with this one that they won, okay, that this is a big thing for them. You know, the, so their friends, you never know. <laughs> after a couple of months if they're going to be friends, you know what I mean? But at least they hugged, you know, and congratulated each other, you know what I mean? So that was good, you know, that was really, really good. Um, did you? So uh, what happened with uh, my good friend Tom Felton of Harry Potter fame, um, Draco oh, Malfoy? Yeah, he passed out. So he lives here in Venice, uh, California. Yeah. He's he's out in Venice all the time. People, have, I know people have just seen him just hanging out like on on the beach in different places. So what happened? He just really, fa- yeah, he just fainted. He fainted, yeah, and they don't know why. After now, I was looking at it. Why he doesn't say? He said thank you. So yeah. uh, so he fainted. Well, I, I wish him the best, and I hope that he's fine. But that was Me scary. Too. Yeah, that was scary. Yeah. Um, let's, that was scary. Yeah, it was. So what they, else? They have to carry him. Okay, so let's let me just go through your takes that you sent me. I'm just going to go down it. Here's your takes. Number one, Xander, one of the best iron players, solid, very consistent. Rory has iron problems. Yeah, but not the single. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I couldn't believe it. I didn't think he was going to win. Yeah. I really didn't. You saw that the two days, he, his iron was bad. Okay. And and for the two days, okay, Sander is such a good iron player. And, uh, and Colin also is a good iron player. And I think that's why when he was partnered with Dustin, yeah. there was such a good thing because Dustin, he, he missed and he gets it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. He's such a good iron player, you know, and... Okay, well, you know, sometimes that happens, you know what I mean? And he, 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 you know, I mean, I think that's the reason why they put him first, because they know that he's good. He's very consistent, you know what I mean? But, and then uh, hey. you you really liked the Rom versus Scheffler matchup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that Scotty, that was the best ever. Tonight, that's the best one on the single when Scotty beat John Rom. Yeah. I'm amazing. I really thought, you know, I, I'm number one player. It's the same thing when John or John Rom beat Tiger. He was he was celebrating like he won a championship, you know, in the Ryder Cup in Paris, you know. So this is biggie. Even Dustin Johnson said it's the best when Scotty did that. Um, and I think they only... The, the European only took, what, three points? Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you yeah. predicted it, 19 points. You said, yes, yeah. USA, San Diego guy, Colin Morikawa did it. Um, what are your closing thoughts? And um, who impressed you and who didn't you like? As we look, and what's your next event? What's the next event you're looking what, forward what to? What do you mean? And the Amer- uh, oh, just anything like, yeah, do you have any, do you have any short takes to, to finish up with? Or you, uh, that was it? Well, my short take, I'm so happy that they won. I mean, in U.S. Yeah. soil. That's the best. And Steve Sticker, break place. You know, he's crying. He's so emotional. <laughs> I get emotional. You know what I mean? I, I mean, it's only in the Ryder Cup you, that I I scream and and clap again, you know, when somebody misses a shot. I never do that in real competition. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, but it's the only time you can do it. You know what I mean? I, I'm very happy for them, and I think really... Um, the new generation of Ryder Cup and President Cup is going to be different. I love it. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. what's your next, what's the next event you're looking forward to? What's the next event? Actually, really nothing. I, I want to see, I'm, I'm going to watch um, that long drive that I think, um, what's his name, is going to uh, compete. Yeah. Uh, yeah, could you, uh, what's his name? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, the one, uh, Brooks, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, Brian, 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 
Ryan. I think he's going to compete against a long, long drive. Okay. I think it's going to be next week. Oh, yes. I want to watch that. I think there's really nothing big because golf is actually over. You know, they're all in Europe. You know what I mean? Uh, so we're going to have to till January. So now football is on. Yeah. Well, uh, Mom, thank you so much for joining us and giving us your golf takes. Uh, we, I really appreciate it. You're the way you know. You're my entry point to golf. I don't know anything about it, but you know so much about it. And thank you so much. Thank you for asking me. Thank you so much. Bye. That sound means it's that time. It's buzzer beaters where we talk about the stories we didn't cover in the show. You should already know this now. Come on with it. So my story that we're going to cover, it's not even a story. I'm just making an announcement. Catch me for the WNBA semifinals in studio with ESPN. I'm going to be joining the homie Monica McNutt. I always like working with her because I feel like the vibe is the same. And then I'll also be joining Carolyn Peck, the OG. So it'll be some exciting times. I don't have any stories other than watch the WNBA. The games are good. What's good with you, Jason? I have, so I, uh, I posted a poll on Twitter this weekend and it came down to a 50-50 split uh, with over 8,000 votes cast. So I wanted to uh, ask the question here. You are out at a popular and crowded outdoor brunch spot, dining establishment, what have you. Here's the setup. You arrive and you have to go to a cashier to order. And then when you order, the cashier gives you one of those little stands with the number on it so that you can place it on your table so that uh, the server knows where to come. Let's say you're four back in line. You haven't ordered yet. You're with a party of three or maybe four. You see a table open up. Is it okay to send one of your party to go sit there, to go squat at that table before you have ordered and got the little, uh, you know, little stand with the little number on it? Or is that not okay? I put this poll out and it split 50-50. Some people were like, this is what everything that's wrong with America or people who do this, ah, go and squat at the table. People took other it pe- serious. Other people were like, hey, that's the rules of the game. Sorry. Like if the restaurant doesn't have clearly uh, clearly defined rules about what to do, then that's absolutely fine to do that. So I wanted to open up to everybody else because I was I, I could see it either way. I think it's very situational and you need to read the vibes of the restaurant. But I wanted to know what everybody thinks of this. Read the anyone, room. I'll get the party, start. has, I'll get the party yes. started off, but I really want to hear. I don't eat out very much, so I feel like my opinion is not the same. But I wouldn't do it. I would not go just have a seat. Personally, that's just not me. I don't even go. I don't even go out to eat a lot. So that's why I said maybe I shouldn't even be involved in this conversation. But, <laughs> but it's Renee, a no, for, it's a no for me. But you're royalty in Atlanta, so you don't even have to do this. You don't walk y'all in make reservations? You walk in and the table's just ready. They just go, oh, Miss Montgomery, and then they just oh move out of the way. Oh, my God, because but we, we make know. reservations. No, 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 no. You, you just walk up to any restaurant, and they're like, your table is waiting, Renee. Like, you, you don't even have to do this. It's too much. No, no, no. I'm just, I'm non-confrontational. Everybody in my world knows that. So I would rather okay. just take the road less traveled. I don't want the lady... That's working there, the waitress to tell me, um, ma'am, that's not your seats. I, I don't like that. Like, so that sentence will stress me out. So I avoid it. That's it. I'm Jason. I'm pro take, take the table. You, have a, you is- have a child though. So I think if you have a child, everything's different. Like if you well, need that table because you got a kid. Old. I mean, this yeah, but just still, like if I see that happen and it's like a group with children, I get it. Like he's it, saying you know pre-baby, I mean? like, Jason. No, you guys Jason, can't sit at He's saying okay. pre-baby, he would have done it. Yeah, you're exactly. I pre-child, okay. post-child. Look, if that table's open and you can get there without causing a scene, like <laughs> I don't see the problem. Yeah, I don't have a kid. I'm also pro squatters rice. Aren't these like the benefits of eating in a big group? You're gonna tip more. Like you're gonna you're gonna give more. So yeah, th- th- theoretically, no, you'll, you'll be, it'll be more beneficial to the restaurant. <laughs> 
<laughs> also, but if you're going to a restaurant on your own, don't you sacrifice some of these benefits that a bigger group would get? Like you can eat at home if you're by That's yourself. That's a good so. point. So, Jason, how wow. like what's let's the, say you're with it too. Let, let's you and someone else. You want you're looking forward to having a nice Ooh, uh, meal okay. out on an outdoor spot, and yeah. then the people, and then you are about to order your one away, and you look back. And and a table had just opened up, and the people one back or two back from you just sent someone to go sit there, and you know that that was the table oh, you were about Lord. to sit at. Yeah, I don't know. If it was a date, I'd feel like I messed up, and I should yeah, have been two, more prepared. Two, I think you got to be three minimum. Sarah, what do you think? Yeah, Sarah. yeah, Sarah. What do you think about uh, okay. this? This is. I've got two questions to specify for this. The first one <laughs> is: Is there a sign designating that you should seat yourself, or is it ambiguous? It's ambiguous. I, okay. Most of the places where I see stuff pop off about this, it's 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 ambiguous. I think restaurants oh. need to do better at delineating who could sit and when, but that is just not yeah. often the case. Yeah. Okay. Second question: Are the seats benches or are they chairs? Because in my opinion, if they are benches, this is much more of a casual setting, and then you are probably more within your rights to assign somebody mm. to be the table reserver especially if you are the resident orderer, right? So if there's three of you. No, these are discrete tables, like four tops, et cetera, like actual separate tables, not the long benches. The kind of table where if you are sitting with two people that somebody else could not, would not feel, it would definitely be weird if somebody else was like, hey, can I sit here and eat with you? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I, I can say that I, Personally, probably would not send someone to take a seat, but I also know that brunch in New York City is really competitive. And if I knew that I was going to be waiting like maybe an extra hour, oh yeah, oh yeah. Like if I was going to wait maybe an extra hour, I might send a little gopher to sit down at that seat if I saw it open up. But I would feel guilty about it, but I might still do it. Thank you for the disclaimer that you wouldn't Thank feel you really. good about what you had to do. <laughs> but when it's competition, you got to do what you got to do sometimes. It depends. You got stuff going on that day, you know? That's the thing. There's a million exceptions to this, and I could see people feeling bad about it either way. But I'll just say that, like, if you had a tough week or if you haven't seen people in a long time, except there's a million different ways that you can rationalize that like, okay, go quick, go sit there. Yeah. I haven't seen my mom or something. I haven't yeah. seen someone who like in a year and we've just, and they've flown out. There's a million different things. But you guys are too nice. How about just, I got here before you. Isn't that a good enough reason? <laughs> like, I, yeah, I, I had the like, wherewithal to get here. That was a very That's prevalent okay. argument in my Twitter poll was like, Hey, this is, these are the rules. Don't hate the player, hate the game. And this is the game. Right. And I, I also, I listen, I respect that too, but listen, like, like Renee, especially the times being what they are, I'm not looking to confront anybody over a table or something. (laughs) Like I never, you never know how somebody's going to react anymore. And that's it. You guys guys don't just play dumb. No, I I just play the, oh, I didn't know I could. Well, that's, I didn't know my, my bad. That's an important point because I think that there is also a certain amount of decor, right? Like if you get the table, okay, we saw that. Ha- like keep your head down, be on your phone, and don't look at anybody. Yes. But I've wow. seen it happen too where some where a group gets the table and and it's like they hit the fucking last second shot to win game seven. <laughs> and they're going and they're fist pumping and shit. And, and the people in front of them the online are like, fuck yeah. you. Yeah. yeah I would almost prefer that though. Cool. Acknowledge though that you're being kind of a dick. Like – <laughs> don't because you know that I'm looking at you taking my seat and don't ignore me. Don't ignore me staring at you taking my seat. If you went and like, is that what y'all do? Y'all watch the person take your seat. Oh yeah. This is oh, very. Yeah. Oh, I'll give you the stare down. This is like very. It's giving me like why people honk their horns in New York. I ask that question all the time. I'm like, what are you I don't, honking I'm not a about? Like, what are you honking about? No one's moving. Why well, are you staring at the people taking your seat? They're still going to sit there. I'm glad that we got this range of opinion, <laughs> and it, I'm and we and it is a wide range of opinion. And that's it for us. Follow and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget, subscribe to Take Line Show on YouTube for exclusive video clips from this episode, plus my other podcast, X-ray Vision, where I talk comics and movies, all things nerddom. Don't forget to watch Renee on the WNBA playoffs. Let's go. Goodbye. That's it for us. Follow and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and check out my new podcast, X-Ray Vision. Follow X-Ray Vision on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Goodbye.
Take Line is a Crooked Media production. The show is produced by Carlton Gillespie and Zuri Irvin. Our executive producers are myself and Sandy Gerard. Our contributing producers are Caroline Reston, Elijah Cohn, and Jason Gallagher. Engineering, editing, and sound design by Sarah Gibble-Laska and the folks at Chapter 4. And our theme music is produced by Brian Vasquez. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.